0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special um, Design Executive Club spotlight. Here I'm with Brian Collins, who's in Massachusetts in the middle of a snowstorm. I think Brian.
1: I am. We're in the middle of a nor'easter. We've been, it's been snowing here for three days, so it's um, it's really pretty, but it's but it's cold.
0: Well, you know, it's uh, that—that's the thing. That uh, snow and cold—you normally don't get a uh, hundred degrees in the snow. If you do, something's very, very wrong. Um, well, the good thing yeah. is, I've got—I've got—I've got the—I've got, uh, got, the, got the Atlantic
1: Bay out in front of my front yard. So it's kind of—it's windy. It's—it's—it's it, 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 it's romantic. So it's—I'm so close. I'm right to the marshes. So I see the ducks and the geese who are still here. Um, who are still hanging out. Um, in the northeast for the winter. So it's um
0: very very close to nature so it's kind of a, it's it's a grounding thing actually it, it's good to be here well we're not so much going to talk about now we're going to be talking about a better future and the, sure. and the big question that comes into that is what is the future and you're on the record more than any other designer that i know as being somebody who's trying to seek what are the what are the needs for the future yeah. and that it's not a and it's not a it's not a beige future that you're talking about. You're talking about something which is just incredible and fantastic. And how do we imagine that? So I want to go on that journey with you. But the first question question I've got is, do you think we're ready to start that journey into the future? You know, because there can be pioneers Mm -hmm. like yourself who can actually go out and put an anchor into the future, or we've got some work that we need to do before we even begin on that journey. If you ever wait for the time that's right, right, where all the things are aligned and I need to...
1: Be better at this, or I need to be stronger at that, or I'm waiting for some information. And the future, will, the future that you want to make, will, will come and gone. Yeah. You t- you cannot wait for the conditions to be perfect. Um, I love designers that are you know ready, fire, aim. You know, you, you try something and see what happens, and then you aim. You try something, and you, you know you fire, and you and you and you're constantly recalibrating. But a menu is not a meal. You're going to make something, you have to do something, you have to create something, you have to put something in in, in, in the world to activate an idea. And there's, there were so many designers who think that talking is doing, and they confuse rhetorical skill with imagination. They confuse, you know, human-centered philosophies, the same as making something or creating something and putting it out in the world and watch what happens. The future doesn't arrive unless you make it. And so, the, you know, the idea that you can talk your way, in the future without creating something um is is i think a plague that's infected too many designers over the last over the last decade
0: and brian you've you've been on the record to go just talk about the the absurdity behind something being sustainable you know it's like it, it's not that it's thriving it's just sustainable and i and i'm about that too you know beyond zero to me isn't we shouldn't get across the carbon neutral you know uh, compliance line What's our imagination of what we do when we've got this carbon-free environment, when we actually have more energy than we know what to do with? What are some of the opportunities that we have? I think we need to go and keep reminding people there's a a spotlight that is actually always beyond and that they should be actually trying to go get into that.
1: Well, language, words
0: make worlds,
1: right? And language makes a difference. And So can you imagine describing your relationship with your partner, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend? Like, how's your how's the relationship? that's right, sustainable. <laughs> you know, or minimal viable product. Minimal viable product. What are you doing today? I'm making a minimal viable product. Oh, good for you. Um, the language has become neutralized and dull and boring, and, and, and that's in the case of sustainable sustainability. Sustainability has been a co-conspirator of the of the status quo. I'd love that's to. Like sustainable, like. You, do you think that what we've been through for the last two years has been sus- is sustainable? Who wants to sustain that? I don't want to sustain
0: any of that. Well, that's not what we mean. Then don't use the word. Now I, I can see you've got a, a a tint of green hat on, and I remember <laughs> a, 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 an AIGA um, conference where you're talking about the Spotify rebranding, and you changed sure. the green, and there was green gate sure. and all that, and your comment was. If you're worried about the green wait till you see who the current president is and and so i think there's uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: it was incredible it was like at the time it was like everyone was like so why if i change the color green They change the color green i'm like jesus like you know in the white house like i remember years ago friend lebowitz is now in a series of or is in a film series with uh, uh, martin scorsese um has done it on netflix and it's great Friend Lievowitz is 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 the New Yorkers New Yorkers, and she's dry, and she's funny, she's brilliant. She's written only two books. Within the first two months of of, of arriving in, in New York, I was invited to a very fancy dinner party, and Fran Leibowitz happened to be there. And um, after we broke for for drinks, and we went out of the balcony, I went up to her and I said, God, I like book, I like your book Social Studies, and I like Metropolitan Life. I enjoyed them, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wish they always, I wish they always had a follow up. And she turns to me, she does it up and down, and she goes, you don't get out much, do you? <laughs> I was complimenting you. She, you don't get out much, do you? And she walked away. Later, she said it was getting close to December, so she, at that point of the year, she's filled with Christmas ire, so she she wasn't as as much of a good conversationalist, but, but um, the idea that we're using this language and we get all excited about it, I mean, I can't. The fact that people get so upset because someone changed a serif on something. On one side, I, I, I'm glad that people are paying attention. On the other side, you've got to like, you know, give me a break. Really? I mean, you're upset that someone didn't like your logo. You're upset that someone, you know, someone doesn't like the, you know, the thing that you've done. Like, you know, you make images and you make type and you work with smart people and you work with ideas for a living. You really want a hard job? Try to work two shifts back to back um, at a fast food joint and try to keep to keep your family's you know keep food on your family table on your family's table and keep a roof over your head while your mm-hmm. kids are not high school like really you think being a designer's hard like go work at a coal mine go work in an assembly line go g- go be a student who's trying to pay off a massive student debt while they while they work three jobs at, at a coffee shop at, at, at a fast food place. please you know you don't suffer because someone didn't like your color like no, get a life really. you're extraordinarily fortunate we're blessed and like, oh, they didn't like your logo? Go make another one. They didn't like your color palette? Make another one. They didn't like the language you used? Go ahead and find new language. Get over yourself and make something worthwhile, please. Get some perspective. So I want to take you back a little sorry, bit. Sorry, I'm, I'm adamant about this stuff.
0: No, 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 no. I get it. Yeah, but then. And let's say I went to the mind gym yesterday to make sure that I was actually on my game ready for this, so that I didn't have done <laughs> training because, because I know we, we're going to go rounds with each other, which is yeah, great. Yeah, yeah we will. But I want to take you back to that statement about fortunate and I want to take you back to the neighbourhood that you grew up in and some of the people that were around who were stimulating your mind. Because a lot of yeah. people don't have that sort of stimulation. You know, you were very fortunate that, that family um, supported your your weirdness is probably what I'd call it, you know, because yeah, yeah, you, no, yeah. and, and, and you're famous for saying, you know, I worked out how to make the the bullies laugh and then they actually were then my allies rather than my tormentors. But what really impressed me was there's a famous quote that you use at Noam Chomsky's talking about uh, talking about the future and talking about optimism. Yeah. But you grew up in a neighborhood where Noam Chomsky was. And for a yeah. lot of people, that's not, that's not the cohort that they grew up with, you know, he, no, he's no, a... No, Noam no, Chomsky's really didn't live up the street. No, it's not, you know. uh, So I, I didn't go knocking on Noam Chomsky's door and saying, can I clean your garden Mister, <laughs> for a bob or, you know, for, uh, for a nickel. I, that, that's not my, that wasn't the world that I grew up in. So you've, you've got this influence of people who are actually creating tomorrow. You're living in a, You're living in a built space where the topology is actually about next. And you've, and you've got this imagination that's coming along that's been inspired by the space program. Yep. And so there's all of these influences. And what, what concerns me is the imagination that young people are getting is about their Instagram post or the Kardashians, but I can't see where that big idea that we're trying to go solve, what's that thing that's going to be fantastic in the future that we can all say... That's what modernity looks like. Have you got any insights of what might be that modernity beacon for for younger people now? Well, I know what it's not. Puzzle, yeah,
1: I think the puzzle we this has been engineered to trap us oh. in many ways. It has. It's been engineered to absolutely keep us glued and, it, and and pays us off in all sorts of endorphins that demand that we pay attention to it. And there's a you know there, and <laughs> there's a reason we're called you know in the technology space, users, right? Um, and so the puzzle with this is it's so addictive and so rewarding. Okay, I'm bored. I'll go, I'll, okay, I'll take a trip to the Louvre. Oh, I'm really bored. I'll go on Zillow and see what house I want to buy. Oh, I'll check my Instagram posts. Or I'll go on Twitter back again. I'll go, but so I'm constantly, if I'm not, if I'm bored by looking at it myself or my tweets or whatever, I can go anywhere in the world. I can literally walk across um, in real time, Machu Picchu. I can go to the plains of Nazca. I can go to the, the, the pyramids of Giza. I can go through. I, I can go through the Hermitage if I wanted to. I can go to the Prado in Spain. I could. I could download. An, 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 I, <laughs> I can download Doctor Who, and I probably would. Um, and so it's very easy to, to be distracted, so your brain doesn't have to think. Human beings often don't like to think. The thing that was interesting when we didn't have these things is you'd be walking around or farting around or waiting in line. And that's when the mind, sort of unprotected, wandering, looking, all of a sudden your peripheral vision opens wide up. You're not here. All of a sudden you're looking, oh, you see that, you see this, you you hear something, smell something, and all of a sudden serendipity appears. And I, I don't think we can leave serendipity to chance anymore. I think our world is so much filled with intentionality, intentionality, function, read, go online, post, listen, change, listen. We're so, when we're not like, do um, you see, I this is the last thing I check at night. It wakes me up in the morning. And I, it's the last thing I check at night. And it's, I'm trying to stop that. And I've been successful at it, but we're looking at screens all the time. And so what I've tried to do is recognize that the world is filled with two kinds of things. You have intentionality, which is time, function, deadlines, KPIs, measurements, audience, all the things that creative people have to do in order to make a living. What's the outcome that we want to achieve? And what's all the discipline we need to get there? All the things that are measurable, right? But if we don't leave time for the unintentional, the unexpected, the serendipitous, which is where creativity really happens, then we're doomed. Because all of this stuff, all the intentional stuff can be taken over by AI. It's the unintentional, it's the weird thing at the corner of your eye. It's the song you've heard. It's the girl that might be walking down the street or the guy that might be walking down the street and go, who's that? And that sense of the serendipitous, I think has been replaced. Or the, or, or the, I think creativity comes from, the, from unintentionality. The things you didn't anticipate, the things you weren't planning on. In fact, Silicon Valley has a word for 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 the for the unanticipated and the unintentional. They
0: call it the pivot. Oops. Uh, yeah, I I must say, and and so there's a couple of things that come out of Silicon Valley's language I find really interesting, which which are all financial. That's a good language. one. That's a good one, actually. I like that one a lot. So so there's so there's two things that come out that really surprise me because they're financial functions of the startup uh, model. Yeah. One is about fail fast. Yeah. And and the idea is that the fail is that you didn't get to the scalability success that mm-hmm. the investors wanted. So they weren't going to put another tranche money. It's actually you stumbled and you learnt, but it was it wasn't going to give the return on the money. That's why it was a failure. Not yeah. n- nothing to do with the people, nothing to do with the proposition. It just was we're after a 10x or 100 x Return on our money, and this only gave us a five x. So society isn't going to have that thing because it's a five x. It's not a ten x. And you I find, didn't find a, you didn't find a product market fix that was scalable. I mean, yeah. you didn't find a product market fit that was scalable. Yeah,
1: yeah. You and find the, the, the other one is what the you, other, find, you find what the market wasn't what you thought was.
0: Yeah, and the other one is the pivot, which is basically this. say uh, it's a it's a coded language to say. We knew we weren't going to get to the next tranche of money if we kept doing what we were doing, so we tacked and we went and did something else. Now I'm a, I'm a sailor. We call it tacking because you get somewhere. We, we don't call it a pivot. <laughs> and, 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 and so you, I'm about you, so you get <laughs> <guess> the win. <laughs> right. So you, you know it's. It's, it's interesting that they've got their language that's there, but then a lot of people have adopted that language without actually understanding its roots and the meaning and actually how it functions. But but I am interested about this, the time for the imagination. Before I ran uh, Driven by Design and the exec club, my business was thinking, thinking.com.au. And I basically called it that because I was there to think for, for people in a creative way. I, yeah. And often they wouldn't pay because there was no artifact that I produced for them. And I said, actually, well, the great thing is I've told you that you shouldn't be doing these things and I've saved you millions of dollars because we're not going to do those things because we thought through. <laughs> and and when they wouldn't pay, I'm going, but I came here to do thinking for you and I did the thinking, you should pay me. So that's why I call the business Thinking. And so that idea that it's, all, it's just about artifacts and output to me ne- never stood up. In COVID, the thing that, and I know that you talk about the idea of problem-seeking, What we haven't done through COVID is actually gone out into five future possibilities, scenarios that we know and actually thought through them and said, okay, this thing, uh, we wind up giving a vaccination to people and we find out the vaccination doesn't work on a variant of it. How do we handle that? And then how do we communicate that? And how do we make sure that we're gracefully moving into that scenario? And that side of the creative process, I see that we're, we're very much on fixing what's now, doing that, what's the unmet human need now, rather than actually thinking what might be something that people would have to deal with in the future and being prepared for it. Which is what the what NASA did. NASA had to go and think of every possibility that may happen and deal with all those scenarios.
1: Well, I think part of that is is I, I don't think there's such a thing as the future. I don't think there's not one. The future's not a monolith. There's an infinite number of simultaneous, colliding, merging, disruptive, or competing, brimming with all sorts of possibilities. of you know, the futures. You know, um, it's um, how, how do I say this? Um, there's a really interesting quote by um, Heraclitus he's what, 2005 on you know from 2500 right, years ago and he says I, I love this quote and he says no man ever steps into the same river twice but it is not the same river and he is not the same man you know so the, the thing about that is the, 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 it's oh, the it changes the futures always changing it's always about to, it's always about to change it's always in flux and what we need to do is to understand our, 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 our how we're built for informing what that future might be. Designers are the ones who kind of put themselves back in the river and say, how can I change it now? And there are all these other things and tides and eddies. And as you know, if you've been sailing, things can change. A, a, um, a stream can change. The um, you know A, a wave can, can, can change. Uh, a sudden, the wind can drop, the wind can come up. So you constantly have to be like aware of, of, of that flux. I mean, it's no surprise that Doc Brown called his... You know, future-facing gizmo around the future—a flux capacitor. Because he had to, he had to make the flux. He had, to, he, had to, he had to make. It, he had to be equal to the, the flux that was changing. Because designers like, like Doc Brown live in the live in the then, the now, and the yet to come. We're always living there. We're always living now, looking what happened and projecting the future. So we're like living, breathing flux capacitors all the time. And every time we go to put our foot in the river it changes and everything we do like changes. Are you, you're familiar with Steven Johnson, right? He wrote How We Got To Now, he calls it, he calls something called the, he calls it the um the uh, adjacent possible, mm-hmm. right? And I think what he talks about is, look, so Gutenberg, right? Gutenberg is walking down the street. He go, he, he comes, he, he lives in a town where they make wine. He already had movable type. He sees wine, what do wine presses? What do wine, does wine require? A wine press. He puts movable type design a wine press. He he takes the adjacent possible and he makes printed books. Then people start reading printed books. And then people begin to realize, oh, my eyesight's not that good. What did they do? They create lenses. Lenses lead to something called microscopes because all of a sudden the creation of eyeglasses, they realize, holy shit, we can look at shit we've never seen before. Then lens, then mic, then they discover stuff which leads to medical knowledge which leads to medical writing, which leads to medical books, and then we're back at Gutenberg's printing press again. So Three, four, all adjacent, adjacent, adjacent. But if Gutenberg... Didn't see those two things put them together. Didn't make a press. Then we wouldn't have glasses, We wouldn't have microscopes. We wouldn't have medical knowledge. Well, then we wouldn't have medical books. And then back and then back it goes again. We're, we're not. This is how it all works. It's all in flux all the time. That's why it's so important that we actually make things or encourage people to make things or give them the systems to make things, whether it's thinking or an artifact, so they can put things in the in back in the river and watch what
0: happens. So you you meet a lot of different people. Who are trying to go master that flux? Are there are there any? Because you know you're very respectful about other rising talent. Are there any people that would jump out at you and you'd say, I've seen what these people are doing, and they're really they're taking things in a direction that which which astounds you. Yes, because that, yeah. that, that's one of the privileges I say. I see people where um, there's a guy Adrian Westaway in in London um, no. for a a company called Special Projects, and he is a master. Everything I've seen him do, I'm going. You will define the future, but none of us will know that you're actually doing that at this point. Yes, is I that- know
1: two young kids in Britain, high school friends, mm-hmm. that my term are the best kind of designers. They are, have this unexpected bounty of time in front of them because they're in COVID. They can't go to school, you know, and they can't they can't hang out with their friends, so they can only hang out with one of their friends. Um, these two guys. In um, in in England, they start. They decide to start a backyard breeding project for um, frogs, newts, lizards, and turtles. Okay, wow. that sounds wow. very smart, very British, very eccentric. You know, um, but but it's actually quite a big damn deal. What they're thinking of and what they're doing it has the potential to a to restore a sort of rich web of biodiversity that hasn't existed. In, in, um, in that part of Britain or in England, actually, for centuries. So, um, and their names are um, uh, Harvey Tweets and Tom Whitehurst. And they're, they decided to fill in the blanks that no one else was looking at. Um, the idea, you know, any <laughs> if you're talented, you can hit a target. If you're a genius, you can hit a target nobody else can see. And that's what they're hitting. It's interesting. Um, for the last few years, conservationists have been really looking, at, um, returning a really interesting keystone species back to England, which was um, the uh, the beaver to English uh, streams, lakes, and ponds, which has been missing for centuries. They had been hunted to to extinction in the eighteenth century, in the sixteenth and the fifteenth to sixteenth century. Um, and um, as a result, when the beavers died out, the dams and the infrastructure they built also sort of dissolved as well. And what these two kids are doing, they're they're adding native amphibians, they're adding lizards and turtles back to the mix. Um, And when that happens, you put in turtles and amphibians and newts back into an ecosystem. It all of a sudden starts to attract insects and plants and other wildlife starts to show up. So I think it's really interesting. Instead of the idea of like, you know, um, they took the idea of like, be the change that you want to see in the world. They give it a really important twist. And this is the twist that I like. And I see it in COVID all the time. Let's create the world we want to inherit. Let's create the world we want to inherit. Now, these two kids, designers, you bet they are. Absolutely, they're designers. Because design is not what we make. And I want to get this in everybody's head. And all my team are are, already there. And our clients are there, too. Design is not what we make. Design is what we make possible. And for the last 15 or so years, we've suffered under this yoke of move fast, and break things like that, like you learn, right? No. I think our mantra moving forward is learn fast and fix things. Mm -hmm. That's what these two kids in England are doing. You can check them out. His name name is Harvey Tweets and uh, Tom Whitehurst.
0: We'll put put them in the show notes for people so they can get to them. I just want to take a little sidebar there about the move fast and break things. Um, Yeah. It's a trip, you know. That's famously attributed to the uh, to the idea of Zuckerberg and what he was doing. But yep. if, after the first few months, they worked out that was wrong. Yep. And then, and then, if you go look at what happened in 2014 for for all of the tech companies in 2014 all of them had a rollout of product which was rejected by the market and they had to roll back their dev cycle. Okay. Now, for the pe- people who know how a dev pipeline works, none of the software is designed to roll back an entire generation of release. It's actually designed to, to move forward. Yep. So this, this was hemorrhaging their, their yep. entire plans. Be you know, that
1: be Because you had to quickly recalibrate.
0: Yeah and and the reason that they, that it broke was there were a bunch of geeks who thought I've made this therefore people will want it and then what happened was oh, yeah. hot people, people like Hot Studio got involved with uh, with Facebook and began to give them a driven by design culture which is let's make things that people want because Silicon Valley was in an arms race for engineers and they didn't have enough engineers to go have these chances that something an engineer came up with was going to be the answer. So they started to actually work out what was the problem that needed to be solved, and then oh. they, and they put their efforts in being the first to solve the unmet need, and that's where you saw this iteration that came along, which also became the very dangerous part of these phones because these phones now had all of the minds of Stanford all of those people who knew how behaviour and psychology works were now in this arms race of iterating how do they hook us a bit more. So so there's. it's a very bad thing that, we, that we've gone to that stage because we haven't worked out the antidote, but we also, it's not about breaking things fast. It's actually about solving, and in your case, seeking what are those answers that are out there, seeking what's possible for people, those new possibilities, the new potential, and as you, you know, so eloquently said, What's the future that you want to inherit, make that?
1: You know, that. The yeah. problem I have you with know, run fast and break things, it wasn't the intentionality of trying to be inventive. It was their consequences. Run fast and break things is problem solving, you know, problem solving. When you problem solve, that's designed with a really, really small D. You solve for X, okay? Solve for this, get this solved. Okay, plastic bottles solve for X. I can drink soda, tea, water, Coca-Cola, I can Pepsi, I can drink anything out of a, out of a um, you know, out of a, a single-use uh, water bottle, right? But then I throw it away, and all of a sudden, what was a what was a problem solved is a problem caused. And there's some estimates that we're throwing away almost a billion bottles of water a day, a billion plastic single-use. Now, did we solve the problem of convenience. Oh yeah, it's awesome, it's great. But where does all this stuff go? You know, you know, there are more fish. There are more bottles in the sea than there are fish. This is a real problem. So problem solving solve for Africa and sort of and all the consequences are artfully, elegantly hidden. Like all the output is just like let's just take look at it until you take a look at rivers in South America or the piles of, of, of trash that are being sort of moved um, into to, to other parts of the world or see parts of the ocean that are just floating islands of plastic. So p- problem seeking does, it doesn't solve just for X. It lo- solves for X, it solves for Y. And it solves for Z. What's the knock-on effect of this thing? How does it affect that thing? Where does it come from? And the interesting thing, this isn't just in terms of product design. This is what customers are looking for, too. This is what people want. People no longer buy what you make or what you sell or what they're going to buy from you. They buy what you make, who you're like <laughs> who makes it, why it's made, how it's made, where it's made. And so people are not just buying what they're buying, who, what, where, when, why, how. And, and, and so- yeah, and it's going to change the dialogue. So it, it isn't, but by the way, so it's not just smart in terms of what you should do, because it's ethically smart to be a problem seeker, so you can solve more than the problem in front of you. It turns out to be economically smart, because those are the questions that customers
0: are asking. And I know Clay Christensen talks about, uh, or he talked about before I unfortunately died, he talked yeah. about the idea of jobs jobs to be done. And it, even there's a famous uh, video, and I'll put a link to it, where he talks about um, the McDonald's thick check. And he says, well, the McDonald's thick shake is actually it's a job that somebody needs that job. They, they, they're using that thick shake for a job. And he goes into "But But then when it comes down to it, if we know that there's three thick shakes available, there might be a Donut King, there's a, a Burger yeah. King and there's McDonald's. We start to then say, which one's got the um, the ethically sourced materials? Which one has the sustainability? Which one has the brand which has joy and delight in it for me? We start to get those other layers there. But the foundation is there's a job that needs to be done, and that job needs to be uh, needs to be addressed. So if we're being really smart, it's actually the performance. It's that it's that idea of work that works. If we we can't just produce something which is a nice new thick shake um, logo. It's, if it's not going to actually help McDonald's, if it's not going to go help the customer, it's kind of mute, isn't it? It, it doesn't go anywhere. We need to make sure that things are working.
1: Well, the single-use plastic bottle helps the customer. It just doesn't help very much. It doesn't help. It helps. The question is, it helps the customer in the short term. People always estimate, overestimate the impact of short-term decisions and underestimate the impact of long-term decisions. And so it might help the customer in the short term, but does it really help them? in the long term? I think that those are the conversations that people are gonna be asking. I think the people know to ask those questions and then have a dialogue with their with their customers about what that means are the ones that will be on the right side of history. And when you're on the right side of history, you know what else you get? Trust. You know what trust is? That's long-term competitive advantage in the world of in the business because you trust. If, if I trust you, I'll follow you and I'll use you. Look at, look at Patagonia. Look what's happened to Chobani. Look what's happened to Disney. Look what's happening to Nike. Look what's happening at Apple. These are brands that are not only great brands, but they're good brands, and people follow them. And so, because people trust them, you get trust. You can go all sorts of places. And so, I don't think it's just solving for X anymore. I really is thinking for. And I could recommend Stephen Johnson's book, How We Got to Here, which talks about the adjacent possible, which is the the the, the 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 relationship that we're always in relationship with with things that are right beside us. Like you put one thing to next to another thing, just be aware of us. Of, of the things that are, that are connected, and designers are particularly good at this. These designers, like all creative people, are all intuition is, all creative perception is, is the ability, is a, is a heightened pattern recognition system. Designers, creative people, see the pattern in the chaos. We're able to pull it out. And once you see the pattern in the chaos, you can do something with it, and then you can make something with it. You say, well, I'll put this with that. I'll put that with this. And all of a sudden, you're not just solving X, you're solving all the things that go along with X. So what, what, one of the puzzles that we deploy here at Collins is whenever we get on a project, we try to think, what's the biggest problem that's beside this problem? What's the biggest problem beside that problem? So you expand to to the, the largest possible puzzle you could solve with this one assignment you've been giving. And if you try to solve for those larger problems, then you end up solving for the smaller one. I, I, it's never not worked for us when we try to expand the sphere of the problem or the opportunity, and go seeking for what the larger things are that we don't come back and realize that the, the puzzle we've been given is actually a key to a much larger one. And It's always been the case.
0: I was really impressed with the with the quality of the work that came out from Collins for Spotify. Uh, right. you know, the the system that you built, the the depth of the emotional, non rational connection that that gives to the music is it is fantastic. Yeah, and yeah.
1: and been uh, yeah. Crick who led that work, and and, uh, Leland Mashmeyer, who led that work. uh, Incredible um, work. Christian Woodlick, who was on that work. um, uh, Ian Aronson, who was on that work. Leo Porter was on that work. So many people on my team. But those are the key um, people who helped lead that work.
0: And and what I saw you do there as an organisation was you took a company that had a really good concept for the future, which was that you're going to make music work this way, yeah. But it was evident they were a tech, they were a tech company, and I go look in. If we go to that idea of the environment and a thriving environment, there's a company I've seen recently, TerraCycle, who have a product called Loop, which is as yeah. a, 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 a circular economy packaging system. Yeah. and and it feels like uh, I'm not trying to spook work for you here, but it feels to me like. Uh, Somebody like Collins needs to get into Loop to explain to them it's actually about our imagination for the future. It's actually because it's so dry, it feels like rational people have worked out how to go and do recycling and get the circular economy going, but they haven't got into our imaginations yet. Like those little kids who are playing with the newts and toads and lizards, they've got an imagination, about a biosphere. The Loop people haven't yet got to that stage where they can connect with me emotionally about why that product uh, it, it should be you know just the standard way that we do things. Re- reusable packages, not single-use packages. That part we haven't seen yet. It's still a very rational and ethically responsible decision. It's not a joyous, romantic decision yet.
1: That's okay. That's, here's what it is. Every entrepreneur that I know, everyone that's been successful, their, their mission is to try their... Best product market fit first. That's an engineering that is a feasibility question. That's a viability question. Can I make this thing work? Can I make this thing scale? Can I make this thing profitable? So they're d- driven. So product engineers, as far as I'm concerned, are damn heroes. They're pioneers. How do you make it work? How do you make it work? How do you make it work? And So they're obsessed with that. Once they find that, what we've found is they often they get to a place where Your feasibility and viability are not enough. The engineers did their job, hugely successful at their job, like incredibly good at their job. And here's the thing, you can always pull an emotional, meaningful story out of a really good piece of engineering or a really good product, always. You cannot always pull a really good product or a really good piece of engineering out of a story. It doesn't work that way. So I would rather work with engineers and product founders at first because they figured out what people might want. Now, what happens? The, op- the earlier adopters are able to put up with probably not so great interfaces, probably lousy design. It doesn't matter. They figured out what people want, how to scale it, and maybe even make a profit. So then, at that point, we usually get involved and say, "You got viability, you got feasibility. You know what you don't have, you don't have desirability figured out completely yet. Let us figure that out." And we work really closely with the peak who figured out the feasibility and the viability, and we know how to build on those things. So all of a sudden, you get three legs on that stool and it actually works now. So that, but we're, I'd rather come in at that part of the conversation. Um, although we do do a lot of startup work, but we often do startup work when people realize, oh my God, we're this incredible company, but we need to feel more relevant, more connected to the culture. We need to be more accessible to for people. And I don't use that word. but I mean by that is we need to th- lower the threshold so people can use us more easily. We need to have more of a sense of humor. We need to have a life and a soul. And usually the, the founders are there and they have it. We, our, it's our job to help them articulate it, and our job to help them find it, and our job to help them craft what that part of their equation is going to look like for for, um, for for the future. But I'd sooner work every time with someone who's figured out the right product market uh, fit rather than a branding you know person, because a branding person will be caught up with story. Story only makes sense if it's something that people that's actually going to work. Brands are made of two things: perceived value and real value. If the real value isn't there, perceived value ain't gonna make a difference. I saw Kodak go down, the most incredible perceived value of any brand in the world. America's picture tellers, storytellers, a Kodak moment. Kodak logos everywhere. The, the color red and the color yellow were just painted. I remember going to Vatican a few years ago. There was a giant store. This was just red and this is like 20 years ago, just red and yellow, and it was for photography. Their brand colors became associated with photography. You can't imagine the 20th century without the Eastman Kodak Company. So their brand was unparalleled, but it was replaced by this real value. And, and, and what's gone. interesting gone. is... It's
0: not coming back. Well, but so, so there's an interesting thing there. Kodak actually owned the patents for the digital photography that is in our phones.
1: Not only and, that, <laughs> they invented Instagram or a version of Instagram before Instagram. It was called uh, the, uh, the Easy Share Gallery. They had millions and millions and millions and millions of users. And about a year or so, maybe two years into the millions of users, this is what they said to their millions of users Hey guys, we're going to kick you off the platform unless you order some prints. What? Yeah, we're going to kick you off the platform. Like, what? And Instagram was like, We're free, here we are. And they're all modeled. They couldn't, they didn't figure out. That the future was not going to be an extension of the past.
0: Yeah. So I wanted I want to go to Valencia a long time ago. There was some there were some entrepreneurs in Valencia who mm-hmm. said we want to go put a ship together because we want to go and explore somewhere. Yeah. And in Valencia, the idea of the unknown expedition ruled, and it was there. Yeah, you seem to know how to sail a ship, Christopher. We'll go. Let's go. Give you some money and let's see what you can come up with. Yeah. Silicon Valley's got that going on at the moment. It's like, yeah, you seem to know what you're doing. We'll give you some money, and we'll get we'll get the minimum branding set out there so that we can start to go do this product market fit. And yeah. I think there's there's a lovely article I'll put a link to, which uh, actually Matteo Bologna shared it with me. Um, it it's about Bland's, and yeah. I think it's Ben Sharp who wrote it, and and it talks about these very bland it offerings that are coming out as um, disruptive products, and they're all pretty much the same. Which fits into what you were saying, which is these people are trying to find product market fit. They're not trying to find desirability at this point. They're trying to go find out what they're solving. But if we go back to Valencia, there was this expedition into you're giving me an imagination that there's a different future and you're trying to go find it. Correct. We've got that going on in Silicon Valley, but there was also some very bad culture that, in Valencia. There was also bad culture that, uh, that we're seeing coming out of Silicon Valley. But I think the net is that there's a lot of potential coming out from there and other centres around the world. Because I think um, uh, Spotify, but so Stockholm, we've well, had... Yeah. Well,
1: let's go back to Christopher Columbus. Yeah. I don't think that it's Christopher Columbus that's the, the interesting part of that story. I mean, for, for lots of reasons besides, you know, you know besides also things about... Colonization. But the interesting thing that story I always find interesting, it wasn't Columbus, it was uh, Rodrigo de Triana. Do you know who Rodrigo de Triana was? Help me. Rodrigo de Triana was charged. His mission was to go out to the lookout perch and look. And he's the one who said his job was to do this or this. His job was to say, I see land, I see America. There it is. In every organization, there has to be a Rodrigo de Triana or Triana. He's the person who has to look out at the edge of the ship, higher than anybody else, at the edge of the island, looking. Teresa, I have a telescope. Looking out beyond uh, the horizon. You can look beyond the horizon. That's the artist's role. It's actually the, the designer's role to look out far beyond the horizon and say, I see this coming. That's what the future looks like. That's where we should go. The good thing about designers is that we can come back and we can articulate what that future looks like and say, hey, these are a number of possible futures that I see. I've looked out in my telescope. You, we could build any of them. It, it, it looks like this, it looks like that, or it looks like this, and the designers can visualize those futures. So in visualizing them, we can actually put them in front of our colleagues and our clients and say, which of these make the most amount of sense? Which of these are most feasible? Which of these are most desirable? Which of these are you know are most viable? And then let's pursue that. But that's what designers are always good at. And that's why I like Triana. He's the one who's out looking. He says, it's over there. Let's go
0: there. And and I think in our modern day, you know, that expedition that seemed to have gone nowhere but was so impactful to me is the general magic story. You know, without without General Magic saying let's go see if we can put together a telecommunication device, we wouldn't have the Apple iPhone ecosystem and we wouldn't have the Android ecosystem. But many people forget about the idea of what General Magic was. It seems like it was a failed enter- enterprise because it hasn't turned into a major brand, but it was very successful in creating intellectual property and also starting people off in a trajectory which we now all benefit from.
1: It's not about failing. That's the problem. Credit culture failure. Embrace failure. No, it's, not. it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You have a culture that embraces failure. No, we have a culture that embraces learning.
0: Can, can I reach on the screen and give you a big hug? Because I like, you know, the, the idea of I, I, I have never, I've never failed in my life, but, oh, gosh, I've learned a lot, which probably means I stumbled. <laughs> Oh, I had
1: I I've had such spectacular failures. Some of them were, I, I did the I did a logo once for the, for the, the, the United States Olympic Committee. It was so slammed. I, I think I'd ever recover. I was a young designer. People just hated it. It was just it was the worst. Yeah, you know, I, I I've made so many doozies, but you learn from stuff, right? And the process of learning from stuff, you can create new things. Um what? Um the, the Lisa or the Mac doesn't it doesn't exist without the failure of the Lisa, which was Apple made. It was all built on, on that. I think I think maybe Amazon's web services don't exist, which is a huge part of their revenue stream, and their company doesn't exist until Jeff Bezos realized that he wants to create his own web is a web operating system, so he doesn't have to depend on on, on, on the on the cost of, of hiring everybody else. He said, look, forget this. Let's build our own. It turns out they they, they did it so well, they had such capacity that they could sell it to everybody else. And so it's these failures that we bump into that that if you can turn them to your advantage. All design is, all design is, is taking change and turning it to your advantage. that happened? Turn it. it? And so in that regard, I've always thought of design as an agent for change to make a better future. That's going on. How do we make that work? How do you make that work? And that's what designers are really good at. That's why this seeking is so more important than solving. Because designers go, I've got X, got Y, got Z. How do I take that flux and turn that into the answer? Not just X, but X, Y, and Z. All the things that it's connected to. That's ultimately a more interesting solution and ultimately a more interesting way to work.
0: Brian, I don't think I could find an, a, a, a more appropriate point to finish that actually... <laughs> the point where we say the better future is about flux, it's about X, Y, and Z, and it's about having the imagination and going there. Brian, it's fantastic. We know we're gonna go into the future and it will be a better future. Thank you so much for your time. I'm always humbled to go get some access to your mind. So thank you very much. Oh
1: dude, no, it is all you know it's all me. You know, the thing I'll just close here is that in such a cliche it's such a cliche is that there's never been a more a more remarkable moment where we can all access each other. And it's not just solving your X, Y, and Z, but it's like, what are you doing for solving for X, Y, and Z, Mark? You're solving for X, Y, and Z by having these conversations with people all, 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 all over the world. How's Mario at Pepsi solving your X, Y, and Z? He's looking for alternatives to plastics. How are architects solving for Z? They realize that the old way of working in office space is changing. So one, we're doing this, but two, we have to then come back and say, this is what we're learning. And then we go back out again. So the conversations that you're hosting, are um, you do not know how valuable they'll be now. They may be incredibly valuable. You do want to introduce somebody who sparks something in someone else's mind that becomes something else. So, um, Mark, what you're doing is really good. And I'm, I feel so privileged to be able to have this conversation with you. Thank wow. you. For- Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate your time. Greetings from Cape Cod. I'll see you soon, Mark. Okay. Cheers.